And I remember seeing chalk drawings from kids in the neighborhood talking about yay frontline workers, signs on fences, all that kind of stuff to where you were being celebrated as a frontline worker. And then something happened. Hey, how you doing? J-Man here. And thank you for having it locked to another episode of the Launchpad podcast. And I'm so happy that you're here. And I'm so happy that Carla is here as well. And this has been months in the making. And I'm going to tell you why. Carla is a nurse and she was fired because of mandates. And I wanted to make sure that when we had this conversation, she was feeling very comfortable about where she is sitting with that decision and kind of go through all the motions to where we can have a really good conversation. So Carla, number one, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Great. And this is going to be mind blowing for me because I know there's so much that I've learned from talking with you before we did this podcast. So I'm really excited to see what comes out of it now. Now we were talking about frontline workers, how important they were when the pandemic started and still to this day. And I remember seeing chalk drawings from kids in the neighborhood talking about yay frontline workers, signs on fences, all that kind of stuff to where you were being celebrated as a frontline worker. And then something happened. Vaccines were introduced uh, and then they were mandated. Some people took part, some people didn't. The people that didn't got fired and that would be you. And so my first question would be, what does it feel like to go from being a celebrated hero to kind of being a zero and being on people's hit list at that? Yeah, it's been quite a journey. I mean, when, you know, in, in the thick of it in round one, like in 2019, you were right. People were banging pots. They were, uh, you know, leaving us little stones. All the local restaurants were bringing us lunch. I mean, we'd never been treated so well as nurses. So it was nice because, you know, there's just been so many times within the sisterhood of nursing where we have felt kind of undervalued. So that kind of, um, I don't know, that moment of fame, that moment of appreciation, you know, it felt pretty good and it made the job a lot easier. Um, We felt like we were doing something meaningful beyond just our patients. And um, so then to put the contrast, I mean, you, you nailed it, you know, zero to hero or hero to zero. It's exactly what it felt like. I've often described it as feeling like I was thrown out with the trash because it was, it it just blew my mind that, you know, I was the, one of the first to volunteer. I worked hard. I picked up hours. I uh, gave it my all in that COVID unit. And then, you know, when, when COVID kind of the, the dust settled with COVID, then out came the vaccines. And because I made a medical choice, um, you know, my opinion, my thoughts, my personhood no longer mattered. I'm not valued anymore. So yeah, I mean, it, it's been tough, really tough. Right. So let's dig into what you had said there in regards to volunteering. Now, to my understanding, the way that it worked with you is when COVID first happened, obviously nobody really knew what it was, right? They're just kind of telling you this is an airborne thing. It's killing people, but we need people to jump on this unit and you were one of the nurses that didn't volunteer like in regards to working for free but you volunteered to be part of that unit to take this on firsthand because they needed people to take these positions yeah so basically we were all watching the news i mean i think 
the whole world was watching uh, Italy, they were watching what was going on in China, you know, and it was, it was pretty scary. And we knew that it was going to be, it was coming here. So it was starting to enter our city. Our hospital started to do some planning for it. So our manager came on the unit one day and he just said, listen, we've got to open a COVID unit. We've got COVID patients coming. I need to, I need staff. We have to staff it. And because I worked on a medical floor, um, most of the symptoms that we managed with COVID are something that you would see um, similar to pneumonia. And that's a common diagnosis we would have seen on medicine. So they sought out us first. And uh, so he said, you know, we're going to do it on a volunteer basis. We're going to open this unit. Um, you know, uh, I'll let you know more later, but you'd have to move and work on that unit for the duration of this. So quite a few of us volunteered and uh, yeah, we went there. So that's how it started. I mean, we opened that unit in just hours, right? They had the plan for it. We started moving things. We set up kind of a makeshift mash type unit and uh, we and there it was. Suddenly yeah. we're Med C, we called it. Okay. Med C, Med COVID. All right. Now, what was the general demographic that you would see in the hospital that was suffering from COVID? Is it generally what we hear about in the news? We're talking about like on average, uh, 70 plus generally with comorbidities, does that fit what you saw from personal experience? Yeah, so we, we saw, I, I saw very few 70s, um, more 80 and up. Uh, and they, there were multiple comorbidities. And we're talking about things like congestive heart failure, COPD, which is a lung disease, right? So they're already frail in those areas because CHF is also connected to, you know, breathing and whatnot. Um, so yeah, we did see a lot of that. We saw frail elderly who, um, you know, were, had, had dementia. They might've had been diabetic, you know, like extreme diabetic, di had extreme diabetes, um, you know, maybe renal failure, like kidney failure. They weren't healthy people, like say you and I going in, mm -hmm. you know, coming in with, co with COVID-19, sick enough to need medical, like inpatient care. Right. Okay. Because that's what I was going to kind of follow up with. And it's not to say that a healthy person can't get COVID and have a severe reaction or, or die, sure. just like I could have a heart attack tomorrow and I, and I look pretty good. Uh, for my age of 44, even though the gray hair <laughs> might throw some people off. Um, but for the most part, in regards to your professional opinion, for the most part, you did not see what would qualify as being healthy looking individuals coming into that unit. No, it was what I saw. And, and please don't like misunderstand me because I know a lot of people are out there saying, oh, COVID is just the flu. Right. But and I think where people get that concept is because the population that we saw were the same po and the ones that died were the same population that we had seen in years previous dying of the flu. Right. right? Okay. So, I mean, I'm not saying COVID is the flu, but I'm saying that it's, it's got that same, it seems to really target the same population, which is the elderly. Right. Now I want to get into some pretty um, touchy territory. So I'm just going to say alternative medicine. And for people that are listening, a lot of people are, are going to know. And, and this is to no way, shape, or form say that someone should not get vaccinated. I believe that somebody should do with their body whatever they want to. Even if it was pure poison, that's your choice. Just like I want to be able to have the choice not to and not have there be any repercussions for doing so. Was there any discussion amongst nurses and doctors at the hospital 
talking about these alternative therapies that they just were not allowed to use? Like, did anyone want to? Um, I do know one doctor, an ICU doc. Uh, he firmly believed in Iver, like uh, you yeah. know, the big. I can't say the word, the big swear right. word. He believed in one of the big two, uh, and he was told that you know, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Uh, you know, just with everything that was going on with the W um, with the WHO and everybody saying you know, no, public health was saying no. Um, yeah, no, I did. I can't say that I really heard doctors say, talk about alternative ways, um, being proactive. I mean, one alternative thing we did to treat them that wasn't medical was we, we had them laying face down prone. You know, we would do different types of interventions that didn't mm -hmm. necessarily mean medications when they were sick. But as far as um, prevention, no, there, there's never really been a talk about any right. prevention. Which is a big part of the problem. If we could find a way to prevent this, then they wouldn't even have to end up in the hospital. So- right. Early on, obviously, no one's talking about these other things that might be available that could help reduce symptoms, et cetera. Um, but at one point, it did happen, and we're hearing a lot of it right now. A lot of doctors uh, that have been on uh, talk shows and stuff like that have been talking. They've been getting banned. Um, so were you hearing a lot about this stuff while you were a nurse, or did you really start to come into hearing about uh, these other medicines once you left? Like, were you not scratching your head at any point? Were, were doctors and nurses kind of looking at one another saying like, man, like the, I, I think there might be uh, like, why are we not at least exploring this other area? Yeah, like I think some of, there were a few doctors. I mean, in the beginning, remember, it's a virus that no one knew anything about. Right. They, they had no clue how to treat it. They didn't know mm -hmm. anything. And most doctors were quite honest about that. They mm -hmm. just said, like, we don't know what mm -hmm. we're dealing with, right? So we were kind of managing symptoms. Um, I did see a lot of medication changes, so I could see that they were seeking other ways. Mm -hmm. And um, I would say there was a handful of doctors that definitely uh, wanted to implement these, you know, alternative medications. Um, and others just kind of went with the flow. They, uh, they used mostly oxygen. There were some like, you know, oxygen, obviously they would all have to use that if someone's oxygen saturations mm -hmm. were dropping. But um, yeah, I, there was just a handful for the most part. I feel like the doctors just went along with whatever was coming from above them. Right. Just do. the status quo. That, now, yeah. when mandates were coming up, there was a bunch of nurses. I actually wanted to talk about this right off the top, uh, but you were one of 300 plus nurses, doctors, et cetera, frontline workers that were ready to walk out and not comply with mandates. Uh, when did that group get formed? Okay, well, so back in the summertime, I think it was late summer, early fall was when our first mandate came out, right? It was, we knew about the vaccine. Uh, they had talked about it. We had these things called huddles around the hospital and our, our chief of staff came around and started talking as early as January of that year of last year about, about the vaccine. And, and uh, so we had already, you know, through these question things, many of us had made our, our decision of whether or not we were going to become vaccinated. So in, in, and I don't think they had the uptake they wanted. So in the late, um, late summer, early fall, they came out with a mandate saying, you know what, we, we, we now require everyone to have, you know, to be vaccinated with COVID-19. Um, 
And so they said, what we would like you to do, we need you to disclose your vaccination status. So we had a bunch of choices. You know, you can either say, yeah, I'm double vaxxed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a single, I'm getting one, yada, 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 all the way down to, and it's, I, I re, I'm not getting vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So we had to disclose our vaccination status, which was already a thing that a lot of us were like, wait a minute, this is my private medical information. But either way, we had to do it. And if you didn't say that you were double vaccinated or that you were going to be, they had one dose and we're getting a second, you had to rapid test. So we thought, okay, so this is all right, because they didn't say that we were going to be terminated. They just said vaccination is our now pol is our policy. But if you're not going to be vaccinated, you'll need to rapid test twice weekly, you know, prior to coming in and then do all this screening. So a lot of us, that's not okay with us. I mean, we didn't mind doing the rapid testing to come to work. Uh, we just, so we, at that time, I think we kind of felt like we still had a choice, right? Mm -hmm. So there were about, there were over 300 of us that had, decided that we were going to go that route and then uh three weeks later maybe four out came the mandate of vaccinate or terminate right you know to pull the plug on these on these rapid tests so at that time we you know through it, it was scary to talk to people because you didn't kind of want to be known as the person who wasn't going to follow the rules uh -huh. so slowly but surely we started to find each other and then we formed a facebook group and uh tried to plan and you know what are we going to do how are we going to beat this yeah and, and so that's out of what that, happened and then out of that 300 how many ended up saying we're not going to comply 18 of us were fired on november 1st and just 18 and how does that make you feel when you're arm to arm with your peers and i mean i know that you understand that everyone's coming from a different place everyone would have kind of had that conversation before it happened but what does it feel like to have so many people standing by your side and then just having the bottom drop out. Right. Well, I mean, obviously it was a huge letdown. Um, it was very disheartening. We had kind of, we, we had such an alliance formed and, and many of us knew, well, at least the 18 of us knew that we had, if we all stood, if all of us would have just stood it to the end, they weren't going to fire 300 nurses. The hospital isn't big enough. It only has 2,500 staff, right? Mm -hmm. So they weren't going to fire all of us. We knew that mm -hmm. if we would stand, like you said, arm to arm. Um, but unfortunately, the, the coercion got, became great. There was like, uh, you were, we, every day we went to work, there was a reminder, you're getting fired. If you don't do this, are you going to be vaccinated? I was asked multiple times by my manager. Um, so anyway, and, and like you said, for many reasons, you know, uh, the nurses or the staff, I, I mean, I speak, when I speak, I say nurses because they were the ones that I was in, you know, mm -hmm. that I was in closest contact with. Um, but it was healthcare workers all the way across the board, every discipline. But one by, you know, I was watching as many of them were just, you know, saying, you know what, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. I've got to get vaxxed. I'm going to lose my job. You know, I'm a single mom. I can't pay the bills or a man would say, you know what, my family relies on me. I have to get this. And, and it was purely not one of those 300 said, I want to be vaccinated because I, 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 I've changed my mind. I want right. to put this in my body. No one said that. Right. You know, so, yeah, so it was tough. And, and when it came down to just 18, there was a sense of um, failure, you know, because at that point, when it was 18, we, we saw articles, uh, we saw interviews printed in the local newspaper from our um, CEO saying, you know, it was just 18. It wasn't a great loss. Wow. Yeah. That's harsh. that one hurt. Right. Because we felt completely, uh, it, it wasn't bad enough that they were forcing us to, 
to to accept termination yeah. in, it's in order to protect our bodies it was uh, at the end it was kind of the last kick of well i mean it was just 18 they, yeah. they, they don't matter well it's almost like the ceo took it personally yet you're making quite possible like the most like personal decision that you could possibly be making in regards to what it is that's going into your body and then to have to take a jab for that is unbelievable uh, excuse the pun <laughs> um, it was the hardest decision I've ever made in my life. Right. And honestly. why? It's, it's been. Yeah. Well, so like, why? I, I mean, you were, you were one of 18 people out of 300 plus. Why was it so important to you that you stuck to your guns? Well, I mean, I guess it's that kind of, my, the, my reasons for that sort of evolved, right? Because if I look back on my, my first inclination of like I, I'd shared with you, um, you know, in the beginning, when this came out, it wasn't a case of, no, I'm not getting this vaccine. It was, hey, you know what? Not right now. Let me right. see the data. I needed more for informed consent, right? Mm -hmm. And then there, there, and then as it just began to evolve, I started to see that push from the hospital. And, and I didn't understand. It, it, for me, it was a lack of understanding why they were pushing. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't know. At the end... I forget the question now because I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place with that. Right. It's don't, was, it's, don't, don't worry about having to go too deep into it opposed to just answering the question on the surface. Like just why no, it doesn't have to be like in the beginning, in the middle, in the end, just like, you know, at the end of the day, like why did you decide that you just, why did you stick to your guns? Ah, okay. Yeah. So, so basically I just, I, I stuck to it because I just knew that I knew that I knew that this vaccine wasn't for me. There wasn't right. enough data. Right. And that's all it was. Yeah. Simple enough. Everyone wants to wait yeah. for whatever. Well, some, some people want to wait. Some people don't want to wait. And I just, I mean, unfortunately, what seems to be happening in regards to the, the vaccine hesitant or vaccine curious is uh, this strong push from other people uh, wanting you to do something with your body, like under, uh, under their thumb, which is crazy. I have said on some of my Facebook lives and other podcasts that I've done is you would never go up to somebody that was overweight and tell them that they had to lose weight. Or did you know eating that donut is bad for you? You should go to the gym. You should walk, mm. you know, five clicks three times a week. Like we'd never say that to anybody. We have a hard enough no. time trying to get friends not to drink and drive because people usually don't like that weight thing because they say, well, I can't give weight to other people. Uh, but with drinking and driving, something that is easily avoidable, uh, that is something to where if you let a friend get into a car that's had a little bit too much to drink, they can now have a direct impact on somebody else's life that had absolutely nothing to do uh, with that person drinking. So it's just, I understand uh, we're trying to do the whole common good thing here, but that's why just our own autonomy and being able to make our own decisions is so it's so important and i just everyone wanting to just be able to keep that sovereignty about themselves i don't think is something that should be pooped on it should be something that's celebrated well i think also a big piece for for i for myself especially but i think i can speak for some of the others it was a conversation that we had it was like you know the the hospital decided that they were making us their patient like, mm. and, and, and we weren't their patient, right? We were, to us, we thought that we were their colleagues. So when they make us their patient, we as, as nurses believe that every patient has the right to refuse. And they took that from us. And I think there was a little bit of um, maybe rebellion too involved with us. It was mm. like, no, you can't. 
we're going to uphold the standards of practice. No, we're, we're standing together. Right. Well, we that's really important. Wasn't right. We right. knew something wasn't right. Well, it's important that, that you made that comment right there, uh, because in regards to administering uh, medication and things of that nature, you have to have them say, I mean, unless it's, is it different life? If it's life-saving, maybe it's something that you can just do or hold on, let me just read. That's all going to get fucking cut out. <laughs> so it's interesting that you did say that because in regards to someone being able to have a choice, what goes into their body, they're able to do that with medication to some degree. I don't know exactly how it works, but there has to be uh, basically granted permission to be able to administer certain types of medications. Yeah. I mean, you know, on my day to day, I'd bring medications in, say, um, you know, I don't know, pain medication, for example, I come in, I talk to the patient, tell them what the patient, what the pain medications for, what they might feel like after how it's going to work. They have the chance to say, Oh no, I don't take pain medications, you know, or not. And I, I have to say, okay, that's fine. But I really think you should take it. They say, no, I, I don't another situation. But then at the same time, let's look at the people who are against receiving blood, a blood transfusion. They, they, they might be highly anemic. They might be bleeding out somewhere. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, if it's against their religious beliefs to not receive blood, it's my job to accept that, believe that and respect that. Right. Even if it means that no matter how I feel, but yeah. even if their life is in danger. Correct. Wow. I okay. mean, I have to, right? Right. It's their choice. It's their body, their choice. I and a hospital allow would allow that. If someone had religious beliefs and they said, I don't want a blood transfusion, even though they knew that that person might die, they have to respect that? 100%. Wow. And then and here we tough, are now. But it happens. Right. And here we are now to where you want to make a, a decision. And I guess the excuse is going to be is that it's a decision that's going to impact others. <laughs> so... Even though if someone's vaccinated, someone that's unvaccinated shouldn't have any type of negative repercussion on someone that's protected. That's why right. we came up with these to begin with. Now, <laughs> let's talk about some of the things that I've heard about in the news, like in regards to people passing away alone. Um, and through a previous conversation, we had talked about this a little bit as well to where with the type of isolation that we're giving these individuals that end up in these COVID units, oftentimes you're the only face that people see, you know, they don't get to see their husband. They don't get to see their wife. They don't get to see their loved ones. It's, it's just you. So that must be a, a very uh, intimate process. What's some of the repercussions that you've seen firsthand through people having to go through this process without the people that they're used to having in place, not to mention the people that are usually wanting to be there that maybe can't be because of the regulations. Yeah. I mean, that was terrible. What we, most of the time we, we could get ahead. We, we could get a sense that someone was going to die and we begin to palliate them. And they started to allow one family member you know, to the unit. Mm -hmm. um, so there were some patients that did have their family, but imagine, you know, a, a mother dying and she's got five children. Who, who's the most important child that gets to go, mm -hmm. right? To hold her mother's hand. So there was a lot of drama with that, like not drama, but there was a lot of heartache from the families with that. And there were times too that, you know, they were dying quickly and we couldn't get people in there. And just knowing that the very, you know, this is what they see. This is it. 
They don't know me. They don't know that I'm kind. They don't know that I'm smiling and they've got a gloved hand holding them. I mean, not holding their hand as they pass away. A lot of them had dementia. So it, it, they're already afraid as we're leaning over their bedside, you know, and they can't see a face. They, you remember, they, they, a lot of these people would rely on lip, lip reading, things like that. It just felt very clinical and very inhumane, mm-hmm. you know, in that situation. There were times all I wanted to do was rip my mask off and rip off my glove and actually sit with them like a human being. Right. And what about right? the families? I mean, did you hear anything in regards to maybe they're pleased? Can you just let one more person in or is there any sure. way around this? Yeah. And, and, and there were many times that they said, can you just let one more in? And there did get, we did get to a point where it loosened up and there were like two, but never was it ever at the place where you'd have five, six family members like there are on a normal day, right? right. Or more at someone's bedside. Um, yeah, they, they would plead for it. You, you talk to these people on the phone and they're sobbing. And, you know, this is where I was, I'd be, I was grateful if it was during the daytime because I could pass the buck off to my charge because emotionally that was challenging because all, everything in my being just wanted to say, Hey, I'll tell you what, we're switching to night shift. There's no management here. Come on up. I wanted to do that so badly mm-hmm. knowing that I could lose my job. Right. Yeah. But yeah, and, it was tough. And how much time were they allowed to be with their family members was that just as once they got in there they could stay as long as they wanted or oh for sure okay thank god yeah i have a friend of mine whose uh, father passed away and this was during the most strict of regulations to where there was nobody that was allowed in and he had to say goodbye to his father on zoom there was a lot of that like this right yeah yeah, there we, we there was the program, um, and I was grateful for this program. To be honest, uh, at the hospital, they they there were people who like people who worked uh, maybe in physiotherapy, and when they canceled surgeries and things like that, they had an influx of physiotherapists that really didn't couldn't you know they didn't know where to put them. So they started this program um, within the hospital on the COVID unit where they would go around. It was an iPad thing, you know, they'd bring an iPad. And it was like a Zoom visit. So they would make sure that their family members could visit. And you're right. There were some that died, you know, that way where they they died. Their last words to their, you know, parent or their loved one was over Zoom. And and, I mean. Right. Is there there one that kind of stands out more than the other, a particular story or a particular person? Well, I mean. Every, every death matters, right? right? Every, everyone is sad in its own way and everyone kind of stands out. Um, I think the one we, we discussed this a little bit earlier about this little couple that were from that retirement home, they came in together and she, uh, the, the little lady, she was physically healthier in better shape than her husband. However, she has pretty late stage dementia. He, on the other hand, had multiple comorbidities and he did not farewell, you know, as the disease, like as, as COVID kind mm-hmm. of ravaged through his body because mm-hmm. he wasn't well. Anyway, um, so this, this little couple, my colleague who was on the shift before me, um, she was kind enough. We had them cohorting in the same room. And, you know, this little lady really wanted to hold her husband's hand. And so my colleague put their two beds together, their two hospital beds together, and let them hold hands, knowing that this man was dying and just wanted this little lady to be able to, you know, be with her husband in a normal way. So I came on shift, she showed me that, and uh, the gentleman died on my shift. And 
you know, it was the hardest thing I ever had to do is I had to try and explain to this lady who has dementia that her husband was gone and that I needed her to let go of his hand and come. I mean, and she, we let her stay in there for hours and hours, but at the end of the day, we had to get him, you know, ready to go to the morgue and whatnot. So right. yeah, that was, that one was tough and really tough. And I want to share some information that I found out from you uh, a while back in regards to, you know, the things that nurses do that maybe people aren't familiar with. And when a patient passes away, you're also responsible for that person, the body. I don't want to be, you know, I'm trying to be sensitive, right? But you're responsible for uh, the person's body once once the spirit is left and that is just preparing the body to be removed from the hospital right so we call that postmortem care okay so in and during postmortem care we um you know usually two of us go in uh we remove any tubes that are you know on the on the patient like iv tubes catheters things like that and then we we clean we cleanse the body just with warm washcloths and soap this is our normal way of doing it mm-hmm. and then and then, uh, but we make it a very dignified situation, right? Like we still speak to them like they're a person um, because they deserve that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like anything that we're doing, we'll turn them, we call them by name. And then we have to put the toe tag on, put them in the body bag and then cover them with a sheet. And then, uh, you know, security comes uh, up to the unit and they wheel yeah. them down to the morgue. Yeah, that was just kind of mind boggling for me when I heard it, because I just think, you know, the nurse just does their job. Then, you know, maybe you go pick up the clipboard at the end of the bed and you say, well, that's, you know, unfortunate. Or I mean, not to say that you didn't have, uh, you know, an affinity or or a a potential relationship with the person that was there. And it's difficult to see people lose their lives. But I didn't think that you were so immersed in the entire process from when the person gets in to the taking care of to where when they're gone that you still play a role in that. And so and I think that's really important for people to know like what a nurse actually does. And here I am, I've lived my entire life and that's the first time that I'd even heard of that. And so, I, you know, again, and you probably don't hear it enough and you probably haven't heard it lately, but you know, to, that I really appreciate your service and I appreciate everything that you've done. You sacrificed years of your life to go to school. This is something that you did a little bit later in life as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. I did. And why did you want to yep. be a nurse? You know, it, it, it's more of a question of when didn't I want to be a nurse when I was young, I always wanted to be a nurse. I just went through that whole high school phase. Didn't think I was smart enough to do nursing and probably young and wanted to party. Didn't want to commit, you know, mm-hmm. and then it was later in life when I went, you know what, this is missing. I need to do this. And that's what I did it. I checked out of life for, you know, the time it took to go to school. And, and then I became just that a nurse. It mm-hmm. becomes part of who you are. And but what's thanks. the favorite thanks part of that. no problem. And what's your favorite part of being a nurse? <laughs> um, for me, I think it was the relational piece of it. I, I, I really enjoyed, uh, we, we talk about client centered care and forming therapeutic nurse client relationships. So that's just the term that we use. But it's so much more than that. It is building that relationship with your patients. Mm-hmm. Um, just being able to go and, and see someone who's absolutely terrified and being able to sit down on a chair beside them because you know, it didn't matter how far behind I was or how busy I was. I made sure that if someone was afraid, I was talking to them. You know, Just being able to ease their mind, ease their fear, take away their pain if I needed to. Just mm-hmm. be there, be someone to listen to them. I mean, that relational piece was huge for me. That yeah. was the hardest thing to leave. Yeah. 
and we're firing people like you. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was tough. Um, maybe I'd like to share just about my last, like my last week that I was in the hospital, you know, I had this ritual where I would, I, I did it my entire career when I would finish my shift, whether my patient was cognitive, you know, whether they were coherent or not. At this time I was working by the time I got fired, I was working on a surgical unit. So my patients were usually with it. Right. And I would just go around, do my last round. I would thank them for being my patient, tell them that I had, it was such an honor and privilege to take care of them, kind of make that closure of relationship, knowing that they may be discharged. It would be on my last, you know, especially if it was my, you know, the day, the last shift before my days off. And it started to, the last week that I was there, as I knew that November 1st was coming, um, I was getting like teary eyed going before going into the room. I didn't go in with that same, you know, sense of uh, just, it, it was just routine. I didn't, I wasn't able to make that closure because I knew that that day was coming where it was going to be my last day. Right. So yeah, the relationship was huge for me. Huge. Yeah. And this whole situation really disgusts me and I'm, I'm really disturbed with it. Number one, just because, you put your life on the line when there was nothing, right? And nobody had a problem with that. Almost to say like, you know, if something bad were to happen, it's almost like you're disposable, but it's just what we got to do. And you are more than happy to step into that role and do it. And then all of a sudden, that just doesn't matter anymore. And I want to speak to the person that maybe supports mandates. And I'm like, you have to support mandates or not support mandates. I don't support mandates at all. I don't I don't support them in regards to with the kids going to school, not going to school, being able to work or not being able to work, being able to go into this place, not being able to go in, in this place. It's just, I, I'm not with it, just like you're pro-choice or you're not. And I highly doubt anyone here that was choking on a piece of food or needed CPR or a care from a nurse when there's a chance that you're gonna pass away or you're in imminent danger and you're gonna say no like, you know, are you vaccinated? No, you're not vaccinated. Just, you know, leave me here with my gashing wound. Uh, like, what are we really talking about here to where, when is it more about our belief system? Like what we really believe opposed to just what we're being told and for people to maybe start evaluating that a little bit more is that we're all people and we're talking about the firing of individuals that have made it their life goal to help other people. And then we repay them by calling them anti-vaxxers if they don't want to get a shot or they don't care or they're stupid when in a lot of cases they're quite possibly uh, much more highly educated than the person throwing that out there. So I wanted to speak on your behalf, Carla, because I try not to be too uh, you know, biased when, when I do these, but this is something that really boils my blood. And you're someone that I've gotten to know over the last couple of months and we waited a, a while before we had this conversation to make sure that it was coming from a good place. And if anything, I've heard you speak of your hospital uh, with kindness and say that, you know, they did go to some efforts to try to make things more comfortable for patients. Uh, you, you have not been vindictive. I haven't heard an angry word out of your mouth. All I've heard is a little bit of hurt uh, from the way that you were treated and justifiably so. And I think that this is wrong on so many levels and I appreciate you. I appreciate frontline workers. Uh, you know, you, you deserve a lot more than you've given because literally you're the person that jumps in front of the bullet 
for somebody else with what you did when COVID first hit, not knowing what it was and wanting to volunteer your service to make sure that people were safe and that you could be a face for somebody. So thank you. Oh, thank you for your words. Yeah. You know what? Those that that meant a lot to hear that. Uh, we a lot of I'm going to pass that along to my colleagues that you know stood with me because it's something we yeah. needed to hear. So thank They'll you. They'll see it. They'll see it when you show them this video, and it was well worth the hundred dollars <laughs> that you paid me. I'm That's kidding. right, <laughs> <laughs> Carla. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Is there anything that you want to just say out there, maybe to people that you knew? that we're gonna hold the line that didn't, and you know that maybe they couldn't. Is there something that you wanna, yeah. you maybe wanna say to them or just say to someone that might be in a position like you are that maybe went the other way and you know they didn't want to? Yeah, so I, I, I actually have a few colleagues that I'm still in contact with. And you know, they say to me things like, I'm angry. Mentally, I don't feel fit to practice. I'm so angry. And these are, these are nurses that had nothing but empathy and compassion. And they're terrified that that's going to come through, you know, mm -hmm. in, in, at bedside, at the bedside. Mm -hmm. And they, they tell me they're not okay. Um, you know, I want to tell them that they are okay. They're going to be okay. And that I respect their decision because I think a lot of them feel like they let us down, you know, and, and, and I don't want them to feel like that because they, at the end of the day, they still made a choice mm -hmm. on their own. They made a decision, right? It right. wasn't the same as the one they wanted. It wasn't the same one that I made, but they made a choice for whatever reason they did and that they need to stop beating themselves up because I'm seeing a lot of that. Right. So well, Carla, yeah, again, those okay. are great words. It's great words. And whatever it is that you end up doing moving forward, I'm telling you, they've most definitely picked up an asset. And it's unfortunately that it's unfortunate that the medical community lost you, but I'm glad uh, that you're here. And you know what, you're the, you're the right person uh, to do the job moving forward and to be here and to have this conversation with my audience. Well, thank you for having me. It was, you know what, it was kind of soul cleansing to have this conversation. I mean, as we spoke uh, the other, just, I think it was yesterday, we spoke about this and I said, you know, I'm going to need to really reflect on what it was like to be on the COVID unit because so much has happened over the last, you know, two and a half years, you know, like just everything, when you think about it, it it's just the way the mandates have happened, the way that I was terminated, you know, so, it, and it was very quickly. So I, it was, I became a little removed from mm -hmm. being on the COVID unit because it all became about my fight in you know, standing against the mandate. Mm -hmm. So I thank you that you gave me an opportunity to reflect on that. And it was, it was wonderful because any other time I thought about nursing, I was, I would be very emotional and crying and feeling such a sense of loss. And um, to be able to have this, this meeting with you, this discussion, it's, it's brought back a little bit of pride. So thank you oh. for that. Oh, that's wicked. Well, so for Carla yeah. and myself, Thank you for watching the Launchpad podcast. If you enjoyed it, please give it a like. Support those frontline workers with the likes. If you enjoyed the content, please give me a subscribe. And you can also find me online with my website at thelaunchpadpodcast.com. Have some merch there. You can give my sponsors some love. Uh, I have some great affiliate stuff there for you to check out. So until next time, you take care, be well, and love simply because you can.